you don't know me, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here. I am also a math major from UC Davis, and today we're going to put that math major to work, all right? We are going to take a look at some scripture, and from these scriptures, we are going to determine using math, because math is so much fun, when Jesus is coming back, okay? So we're going to begin with Genesis 7-4, okay? Genesis 7-4 says, For in seven days I will send rain on the earth. Now, we also know in 2 Peter 3-8, okay, we got seven days, right? 2 Peter 3-8 says, With the Lord one day is as a thousand years. So instead of seven days, we actually have 7,000 years, okay? So when the Lord said that in Genesis, uh, we have 7,000 years from then, until Jesus is coming back. Now, everybody knows that the flood happened in 4990 BC, okay? And so what we've got is 7,000 equals 4990, right? 4,990 years before Christ plus some time after Christ. We'll call that X. Now, we have to subtract a year because there's no year zero, right? And so we got to be accurate here. So we got to subtract a year. So 7,000 equals 4989 plus X, okay? And to move X over, if you haven't taken algebra or if algebra has been a long time ago for you, you'd subtract 4989 from both sides. And so you get that X equals, and this is the year that Jesus is coming back, 2,000. 11! Wait, hold on, that can't be right. No, no, that, that should have worked. Hold on, let, let, me, let me try something else, okay? We know that the, the number for atonement is 5, right? And we know that the number for completeness is 10, and the number for heaven is 17, so let's multiply all those together, and, and then you got to square it, because you got to square it, you know? Like, that's just important, so you square it, and you get 722,000, Sorry, my brain's a little off today. That's okay. 722,500. So that, so we've got atonement and completion and heaven. So all of those together is going to give us the number of days from when Jesus was on the cross until when Jesus returns. And, and Jesus was on the cross, as we all know, April 1st, 33. So you take 722,500 days from then, and that gives you May 21st, 2011. No, no, this isn't right. Okay, let me try something else. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My math is, is failing me a little bit. Okay, let's go to Daniel, okay? Uh, Daniel chapter 12, it says, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And the man clothed in linen says that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. Okay, so a time is one, times is two, and a half a time is a half. So you get three and a half, right? So... That's three and a half. Of course, he means years. So three and a half years times, well, we know that there's 12 months in a year. And of course, times 30, because there's 30 days in a month, you get 1,260 days. But in the Bible, when it says days, it really means years. So we'll change that to years. So we've got 1,260 years. Well, from when? It says, 
that'll be for time, times, and half a time that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end. Well, when was that? That, of course, was the rebirth of spiritual Rome in A.D. 753. Okay, so we add these two together and we get 2013. No, 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 no. We're, we're still off. Okay, we got to try again. We got to get a date that's ahead of now because otherwise we would have missed it. So let's, let's try one more. Okay, so let's try Luke 10. Okay, in Luke 10, it says, and the next day he took out two denarii. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Now this is really important because a denarius is a, is a day's wage, right? Okay, so two denarii would be two days. But remember, a day is as a thousand years, right? So this means 2,000 years, okay? So he says, uh, two, he gives them 2,000 years. So basically saying, I'm coming back in 2,000 years. And the Good Samaritan, we all know, is a representation of Jesus. So Jesus is coming back in 2,000 years. Well, from when? When did he go back up to heaven? We all know that was 33 AD. So 2,000 plus 33 gives us 2033. And that's when Jesus is coming back. Perfect. We've got to date this in the future, okay? So 2033. So, so mark your calendars and know that, that Jesus is coming back oh, in 2033. Come on, come on up, Vanna. I mean, uh, Les. Uh, Les is going to come and, and get rid of this because that just, that just needs to be over and done. <laughs> Thank you, Les. Yeah. Now, I'm kind of making light of this whole thing. But, you know, in doing research and in looking at this, there have been many other attempts by people to nail down the exact date, the exact hour that Jesus is coming back. One of them involved a magic chicken laying eggs with end-time details printed on these eggs. Another one was a woman who referred to herself as the woman in Revelation 12. And at age 64, she said she was pregnant with the new Messiah, but she died shortly after. And an autopsy revealed she was not pregnant. Shocker, right? And this other book I was looking at, this guy's going through and doing a number of these different kinds of equations and looking at this number and looking at that number and, well, this points to this and this adds up and... You know, so maybe it means that Jesus is coming back on this date, or maybe Jesus is coming back on this date. And at one point in his book, he says this. He said, no one said it would be easy. And there are plenty of reasons for not giving an exact date for his return. And then he continues on and and keeps working on this. Um, (laughs) He didn't even mention any of the reasons. Well, I've got one really good reason. Go ahead and open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and this is where we're going to be hanging out today, looking at Jesus' words in Matthew 24. So the reason that I would give this author is in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. It says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And that in and of itself should be reason enough to try to not nail down 
oh, well, Jesus is coming in 2033, or Jesus is coming in 2011, or Jesus is coming in you know, 2027, or whatever other guesses may be out there. It says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. But at the same time, it's very easy to get wrapped up in the hunt. Uh, there, like I said, there are hundreds of other examples. I went through multiple lists of date predictions that, that haven't worked out. Uh, in fact, in the last a few years, uh, some of you may have heard of, of one, uh, this guy, Harold Camping, that predicted, uh, and it didn't come true, so he pushed the date back. There was this other guy in the last three years, uh, in, uh, in 2011, he had a different date than Harold Camping, and he predicted that Christ was coming back, and it didn't happen, so he said, oops, my math was off, and pushed it back to 2012, and it didn't happen, and he, oops, my math was off, and pushed it back to 2013, and kept trying to change it. But it's very easy to get wrapped up into that. It's very easy to get wrapped up into deciphering lots of details. There's, there's lots of details and lots of signs and lots of things that are tossed out in this passage, in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation. And it's, it's very easy to, to get wrapped up and, and to dive into those things. Uh, it's very easy to try to discern the timeline. Well, what's happening first and then what's happening next? And where are we on this timeline? And what has already happened? And what is going to happen? Now... What we're going to look at this morning is Matthew chapter 24, which has a lot of this kind of stuff in there. Let's take a look at this passage, and then I'm going to kind of show uh, where we're going to head this morning. So flip back to Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3. As Jesus uh, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So this next passage, what we're going to be looking at, is an intimate conversation of Jesus with his 12 disciples. Just them. So, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you are not, uh, are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Flip down to verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two men will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. 
that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and will put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This passage is a a favorite passage for eschatologists. Uh, Eschatologists are those who study end times. Uh, He's not coming back yet. It's okay. Uh, (laughs) um, But, uh, and and, and this is a really important work, and I I hope that you you don't walk away saying, uh, I shouldn't be looking at these signs at all. Because these are put in Scripture, and numbers are put in Scripture, and we are given signs and, and things to look at. Uh, and, they're, and they're very important. It's a very important work uh, to, to look at and to decipher and to study. But what I wanted to do with this passage is I kind of wanted to look with a wide-angle lens. And Jesus calls us to a much more difficult task than eschatology. Eschatology is difficult. There's, there's lots of things to sit and decipher and figure out, is this literal, is this figurative, and when is this and when is that? And, and there's lots and lots of challenges But Jesus calls us to something even much more difficult than that. And that is to be faithful. To be faithful until the end. And that's what we're going to look at as we dive into this passage. Let me pray. Lord, this morning is about you, and it's for you. Lord, help us just to dial into what you have to say. Let us not be scared off by, by difficult sayings, difficult things, things that might be beyond our understanding. But Lord, let us hear what you have to say to us. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for uh, the opportunity and the freedom that we have to dive into it together and to study it. Thank you that we, we have a lifetime here on earth to, to study and to understand. But thank you also that this lifetime is but the blink of an eye. We get to be with you for eternity. Lord, let us be diligent in the time that we have here. And also let us be hopeful and looking forward to that eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Before we dive into uh, the topic of uh, being faithful, I just wanted to address this question. Are we in the last days? Is Jesus coming back soon? Well, let's take a look in this passage because Jesus gives us signs. Signs to look out for, things to look out for. So let's take a look at those signs and see if we happen to see any of these going on. Starting back in verse 6. He says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
It seems like the world is constantly at war. One war ends and another war begins. He says, he mentions famines down in verse 7. Are there famines happening? Yes, all over the place. Earthquakes, he mentions. Nepal, Japan, horrible earthquakes, both happening very, very recently. I got sucked in a little bit myself and spent a couple of hours just looking at uh, the number of large earthquakes and how it's increased over the past few years. And a lot of people uh, take time, and there's, there's lots of different, like, back and forth as to, well, has the number risen? Has our accuracy of tracking them risen? You know, all this kind of stuff. But fact of the matter is, there's tons of earthquakes going on, and it's taking lives. So earthquakes are happening. Jesus says down in verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death. Excuse me. We've been seeing a lot of that in the news. Our brothers and sisters in Christ being killed for their faith. By members of ISIS, by so many others. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This is where it gets personal. Have you felt hated for your love of Christ? Many will fall away. Verse 12. Lawlessness will be increased. All you have to do is Look at what's allowed in a PG-13 movie today versus what was allowed in a PG-13 movie 10 years ago. Is lawlessness increased? Absolutely. What's okay? What's acceptable? What's normal in this day and age? The love of many will grow cold. Are these signs here? Are these present? Yes. Absolutely. Are we in the last days? Yes. But I also want to say that these are just pointing to the end. Verse 6, he says, but the end is not yet. Verse 8, he says, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Verse 14, he says, and then the end will come. It's like me, if I had said to Micah, hey, your room has to be clean before we go play outside. Does that mean that the moment his room is clean, we're going and playing outside? No, not necessarily. It just means that that needs to be accomplished before we go play outside. So all these things need to be accomplished before Christ comes. Does that mean that once all these things happen, that is the moment that Christ is coming back? No. But it points us to it. Look at verses 32 and 33. It says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. So we're seeing all these signs. We're seeing all these things. So we know that Christ is near. We know that his coming is soon. But he follows with in 36, and I just want to come back to this. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. We don't know when he's coming back, but we know that he's coming soon. 
So I just wanted to take a moment and address that. Now, there are plenty more signs, wonders, things to dive into and to study and to look at. Numbers, uh, different signs, things that are coming before and after, and it's a great study. But what Jesus calls us to be is faithful. First and foremost, be faithful. So how do I be faithful? If you want to pull out your notes and follow along, there's some blanks for you to write in and to fill in. I know some of you like filling in blanks. And I'm also, as I'm going to go, I'm going to give you different scriptures to write down and to go back and to look at. I'm going to mention them briefly, but, but you can have them in there to go back and, and, and to study some more. But here we go. First of all, don't be deceived. How do I be faithful? If this is what Christ calls us to be in this passage, as he's talking to his disciples, how do I do it? First of all, don't be deceived. Jesus mentions false Christs and false prophets. So how do I find them? What do I look for? Well, first of all, look for them leading people astray. Verse 5 He says, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse 11, it says, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And even in verse 4, look at the first thing that Jesus responds with when they ask, when will these things be and what will the sign of your coming and the end of the age be? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. That's the first thing out of his mouth. That's what he has to say. That's what's important. Don't be led astray. Stay in the Word. Use this as your foundation. Study it. Know it. Read it. Be confident in it. Be sure of what it says. Because there will be many that will come and will say things that sound very accurate, but are off just a little bit. And they're trying to lead you astray. Look for contradictions, no matter how slight. When I was in college, I had kind of become a little disillusioned and a little frustrated with the church I was at. And so I was like, okay, it's time for me to find a new church. I was on my college campus, and these two guys came up to me. And they said, Ben, we'd like to talk to you about the good news of Jesus Christ. I said, hey, sounds great. And so Brother Michael and and, and Brother Stephen sat down with me and started to talk to me about the good news of Jesus. And I listened very intently. And everything they said sounded bang on the money. 100% accurate. And I was like, this is pretty cool. And they handed me a pamphlet and and said, "So, so are you interested in talking more? I said, yes, absolutely. And they said, great, let's, let's set up a time in a couple of days where we can sit down and we can talk more. I said, great. So we set up a time and they handed me the pamphlet and I went home. And I was looking at the pamphlet and, and, and read it real carefully and it, it looked accurate, very accurate. And I came home and I asked my dad, I said, Dad, why do Mormons get such a bad rap? What's wrong with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And he said, well... Here, Ben, here's, here's a book that, that gets into what the Mormons believe. A little bit more detail than what your pamphlet has. And I read it. 
and my eyes were blown wide open. I had no idea. Some of the things that are so theologically off from what the Bible has to say. But you know what? I was looking at this pamphlet, and this pamphlet was bang on the money. It sounded really, really good. And I was so thankful for, the, for my dad saying, look, let, let me just give you the whole picture. Because what they're going to try to do is just give you a little picture. Oh, no, no, no. We're, we're the same. We're right there with you. That's what false prophets, that's what false Christ will do, is they'll give you uh, just enough so that you're like, yep, yep, we're right on the same page here. And then start to slowly lead you astray. Instead of coming in and saying, hey, let's worship the flying spaghetti monster, they, they give you something that sounds pretty accurate, pretty close. So don't be led astray. Look out for leading astray. Stay true to God's word. What else to look out for is, is signs and wonders. Look down in verse 24. It says, For false Christs and pro- false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. These prophets, uh, these false Christs are going to come and they're going to do signs and wonders and you're going to look at them and go, Wow! So, in the midst of those things, use your head. Don't get caught up in the moment. Look for truth. John 4.24 says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's easy to get wrapped up in the midst of a worship experience and be tugged by your heart and go, oh, wow, like I felt really moved by that, or, or, or that person did that sign or that wonder, and that was amazing, and that, wow, that... You know, that really drew me to that person or, you know, that, that really told me this or that or whatever and, and get sucked in by something like that. And it's really easy to do that. So look for truth in the midst of that. Now, this does not mean that when you see a sign or a wonder that that automatically is from a false prophet. I do want to point that out as well. I've seen amazing things in my own life. I've, I've had something happen to me before. I was, I was sick. I was on a, a trip in Mexico, and I was sick. Like, I was going to stay home. I wasn't going to work that day. And the, the other guys in my tent, they laid hands on me, and they prayed for me that I would be well. And I tell you, that instant, I felt better. I got up, and I went, and I worked, and I got to build a house on this missions trip. I saw an amazing Sign, an amazing wonder, miraculous healing. But you know what I did is I had to stop and look. Okay, Lord, was this you? So in the midst of signs, pray, Lord, is this from you? When you're seeing or hearing about a sign or something wonderful, Lord, is this from you? Look for truth. Does this kind of sign line up with what you know of God? Is this how he has revealed himself in the past? Is this bringing glory to him? Is this drawing people to him? Or is this turning people away? Those are some important questions to ask as you're looking at signs and wonders and trying to determine, is this from God or not? What it really comes back to is knowing this. Knowing your God, knowing your Savior, knowing who he is, And then from there, you can determine if a sign is from him or not. 
the better you know him, the more you're able to determine these things. So what are we looking for so that we aren't deceived? We're, we're looking for being led astray. Uh, we're looking for signs and wonders. We're also looking for fruit. Uh, the first passage I just want you to jot down is Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. Uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago as we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by their fruits. So look at the fruit that they're producing. Is this person a false Christ? Is this person a false prophet? Look at the fruit that's coming in their lives. Now, this whole process is not as easy as it seems. Ah, I can spot a false prophet. No problem. It's not as easy as it seems. Keep your finger in Matthew 24 and flip over to 2 Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians 11. The whole chapter is great, but we're going to look at uh, verses 12 to 15. It says, And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, check this, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. It says they claim they are working on the same terms as we do. Oh yeah, we're right there with you. Mormons say the same thing. Jehovah's Witnesses say the same thing. Yeah, we're all working towards the, towards the same cause. Same thing. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. So they have a lot of truth with a little bit of deception. And their goal is for you to fall away in the end. Yeah, sure, like, we're both following Jesus, and I'm just going to nudge you a little bit this way, a little bit this way, a little bit this way. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, a little bit this way, a little bit this way, and keep nudging you away until you find yourself so far away from theology, correct theology, correct doctrine, from the God of the Bible. How in the world did I even get here? Well, little steps, little nudges away. So don't be deceived. I know uh, many believers who are fervently looking out for these people. And it's a great and important work. So those of you that are doing it, keep it up, please. If you want to dive into this more and really look at this more, I'd point you to our series that we went through in 2 Peter. The whole book of 2 Peter talks about false prophets, talks about signs, and being prepared. So go back and, and, and listen to some of those. And just read through Second Peter. I'd also point you back to our series on Galatians, right from God, especially in chapters 1 and 4. Chapters 1 and 4 really get into false prophets and, and looking at these kind of things. So if you want to dive into this even more, please do. But don't 
be deceived. So that's the first way to remain faithful is don't be deceived. Second, don't be defeated. Flip back to Matthew 24. Don't be defeated. Because being faithful will continue to get more and more difficult. Like Jesus says in verse 9, He says they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Now, like I mentioned earlier, in the U.S., we don't deal as much with the physical challenges of tribulation and being put to death. Our struggle is around being hated. And and that's the way a lot of the rest of the country looks at us. Oh, those Christians are intolerant. Those Christians are just hateful people. And so what's happening is that people and churches are bending or changing their theology to fit in or to be acceptable according to the rest of the country's standards. And it breaks my heart. I'm saying, well, this, this doesn't matter as much as my relationship with that person over there. This, this isn't... God's word isn't as important as, as me making sure that that, that that person over there likes me. That they, that they think good things about me. Who cares? We're told that we are going to be hated. So don't be defeated. Don't let that get you down and, and, and give up and go, well, okay, I, I, I have to change. I have to change my theology. I have to change my doctrine. Don't be defeated because God will use your sufferings for his glory. Uh, another passage for you to write down is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. It says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God will use your sufferings for his glory. Don't be defeated. If you need some encouragement in this area, I point you to the Voice of the Martyrs website, persecution.com. Or there's a, a great book. It's a little bit older. It's called Jesus Freaks, a book by the former band DC Talk. But both of these are great resources, great opportunities for you to look at people that are dealing with this persecution, physical persecution, jail, torment, death, and standing up for Christ and not being defeated. They are continuing to stay strong. Whenever I read those stories or or hear about some of those things, it just encourages me 
that says, okay, there, there are other people that are standing up for Christ in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of tribulation. So I can do that in the midst of being hated. I can stand up for Christ too. A passage Dave shared with us uh, last week and just wanted to remind you of Romans 8, 35 to 37 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That's who we are, so let's claim that. We are more than conquerors. So don't be defeated. Next, don't be dilly-dallying. Dilly-dallying. Yes, I said dilly-dallying. And those that need a definition, kind of taking your time, sauntering around. Uh, I don't know if that's a real word or just something I grew up hearing from my dad, Um, but kind of just, you know, taking your time. Uh, Don't be dilly-dallying. Look uh, in our passage at verses 42 to 51. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. And then it continues on and and, and talks about a faithful servant uh, who is attentive to what his master has called him to do and continues to do it. And then another servant who is unfaithful and says, ah, my master's delayed. He's not going to come back for a while. I've got time so I can kind of do whatever I want. And I'll get ready later. I'll take care of that later. I was blessed and also embarrassed to get to live this out in my own life as I was house-sitting for this woman. And I'd had a bunch of people over and the house was just a mess. And I was like, you know, I, I, I know she's coming back. She's coming back in like a couple of weeks. So I got time. I, I got time to clean it up. Well, lo and behold, here she comes. Weeks before I expected her. And she walks in and sees the mess in the house. That was not a pretty day for Ben. <laughs> I'm being real, okay? <laughs> it was not... A pretty day. But I had this mindset. I had this mindset of, oh, that's all right. I've got time. I've got time. She's not coming back for a while. I'll clean it up later. I'll worry about it later. I've got the time. And you know what breaks my heart is people do that with Jesus. I've got time. I'll worry about him later. Right now, I kind of want to live on my own terms. I want to live under my agenda, do things my way. I've got time. I've got time. But you don't. Here's a a passage to write down under this one. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 3. And you'll have opportunity in your uh, community groups this week to dive into this passage more. But the first three verses say, Now concerning the times and seasons, again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 
Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you, do, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So if you've been dilly-dallying in your relationship with Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Make things right with the Lord. Surrender your life to Him and, and, and start walking with Him. Christian, don't put off the Lord's work. Don't put off what He has called you to do, how He has called you to live. As I was studying, I came across this one website which was really encouraging, and I, I grabbed this quote. Uh, this one author, he's a, he's a pastor, and he said this, Thousands of date setters have failed, but that doesn't mean the Lord has forgotten about us. He's coming back. We might not know the day and the hour, but we know that He is coming and the time is near. We just need to be ready for it. Remember, The Lord doesn't want us to get ready because we know the date. He wants us to be ready because we know Him. If you're motivated to get ready because you know a date, you have the wrong motive. How would you live if you thought Jesus was coming in a week? I ask you to live like that now for the rest of your life. Just be the way He wants you to be because you love Him and know He is coming someday soon. Your motive should be your passion and love for Him and not, uh-oh, He's coming back. I better get ready. So don't be dilly-dallying. Finally, or fourth, be a witness. Be a witness. Look at verse 14 of our passage. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what's our job? Our job is to go and proclaim this gospel of the kingdom. Our job is to be witnesses. Jesus is calling us to go and give everybody the good news. In fact, right before Jesus goes back to heaven, uh, this is another passage you can write down, Acts 1, verses 6 to 8. Jesus is, is standing with his disciples. And they come to him and they say, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Again, don't worry about the when. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what we are called to do. This is the task that God has given us. Go and be my witnesses. So Christian, who are you reaching out to? Who are you giving the gospel to? 
And also, I, I encourage you guys to support our missionaries. Uh, we support some missionaries uh, around the globe. There's an update on one family, the Burlsons, who have been spending the last uh, several months in Portugal learning the language of Portuguese so that they could go to Mozambique, where they were excited about starting to do missions work. And great news, this past week, they moved to Mozambique. So now they're in Mozambique and just excited to be where God has called them to be and and ministering there. Uh, So that's just a quick update on them. Quick update on the Hintons. Some of you may have heard Cecily Elizabeth Hinton. So baby number three was born to them. Cute, cute little baby girl. Everyone's doing great. But just wanted to give you some updates on our missionaries. In our bulletin, there is a website that you can go and just learn even more about our missionaries. But our missionaries are out doing God's work and spreading the gospel. So be praying for them and lifting them up and supporting them in any way that you can. And then, like I said, continue to be a witness. So, here we are. Don't be deceived. Don't be defeated. Don't be dilly-dallying. And be a witness. Now, this is a daunting list. And it seems like oftentimes when I preach, I get these daunting lists. So if you've heard one of these other sermons, or if you've had a couple conversations with me, you know how I'm going to wrap this up. It's all about Jesus. You can't do these things by your own strength. You need Jesus. So if you set out to accomplish this list on your own, you will fail. You will be deceived. You will be defeated. You'll be dilly-dallying, and you won't be an effective witness. So don't be deceived by knowing intimately the Jesus you follow. Hold Him high above you and no one else. Use others for support, encouragement, and instruction, but no human deserves the kind of praise and admiration that needs to go to Jesus. Don't be defeated by putting your hope in Jesus by remembering that these afflictions, however difficult they may be, are light and momentary in comparison to eternity. You're going to be with Jesus one day. Let that encourage you and give you the strength you need to not be defeated. One day, there will be no more enemy. Don't dilly-dally by understanding your desperate need for Jesus in your life. Right now, He's not just a ticket to heaven. He has a way to live your life that is infinitely better than you could ever come up with. You're utterly lost without Him. So put Him in charge. Now. And I do invite you, if you want to talk more about this, please come talk to me, come talk to Dave after the service. And be an effective witness by living every day for Jesus. By being so passionately in love with Him that it seeps out of every pore. That you can't help but share about Him with others. People will see a difference. The credit, the praise, the glory, the honor needs to go to Jesus. And I want to leave you all with Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. 
But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen? Amen.